I want us to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to turn to the book of Psalms. This message today, I hope, will be meaningful to you uh, in a lot of different ways. I'm entitling the message, When God Hides His Face. When God hides his face, even as we pray now, there's some of you that feel like God doesn't even know where you are, much less at church. He'd be so proud of you if he knew you were at church, but you say, I don't think he cares. I don't think he knows. But he does care. And I want us to look in the Bible together and be an encouragement to each other as God speaks to us. So let me pray, and then we'll go to Psalms chapter 13. Our Heavenly Father, we are here to worship you. Our music is to praise you. Our thoughts are upon you. Our reason for being here is that we love you and believe you have a plan for our life. Or we're here because we're struggling and we can't find purpose for our life. But today you can make it clear what your will is and that no good thing will be withheld from those that love you. Bless our guests that are here in the building. Bless all of our Bible study classes that are going on now and the, and the worship service that we will follow, both here as well as in, as in our Hispanic service. And I know, God, that you've got a reason for us to be speaking and listening and waiting upon the Holy Spirit to speak into every life. And may you bless those that are on a search today to help them to find today what they've been looking for for many, many years in their life. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. When God hides his face, those of us who must live between the time Jesus was here on earth and the time when he's going to come back to this earth again, are in a very difficult time of existence. We're in a time when we question a lot of things. We're in a time when I promise you, and I think you will agree with me, that many people will be in churches today, not only Sagemont and not only those that watch by television or listen by radio, but they have down in the very depths of their being a feeling that God does not even know I exist. He's not hearing my prayers. He's not doing what I ask him to do. I just question, you may be saying, I just question that there is a God. And it is troubling you immensely because you cannot find the answer to what do you do when you are living and not knowing and believing in a resurrected, living, soon-coming God. And that through the person of the Holy Spirit, that he is going through with you everything you're going through in your life right now. And he has a plan and he has a purpose for your and my existence. I would imagine that if you watch the news, you would think that God may have withdrawn himself from the whole world. Because it seems as though every one of our continents... Every one of our states in the United States is having major problems. 
And we're trying to find answers to questions that it's seemingly there is no simple answer because there's no unity in where we look for the answers. And by the way, the answers you find to your questions determine on where you look to find the answer. And when you have available to you an inspired and inerrant and infallible Bible that you can pick up and read and know it is God's Word in writing that you have an opportunity and I have an opportunity to answer those questions that others are struggling with. We seek and we do not find. We ask and we do not receive. We knock and no one seems to answer the door. And so the response of many is that we just start grumbling. And we start complaining. And we become so negative. This past week I began to read something that I found to be very, very interesting. And I'm just at the beginning of trying to find some answers. And I wanted to share just what I have learned this week. That astounds me as to the facts that are coming out through research and medical science, and psychological studies, how true the Bible really is. I don't think anyone would argue with the fact that we live in a time when people are very negative. Matter of fact, they major in complaining. If they have ten thoughts, eight of them are negative. And in the midst of all of that negative look... Now something is coming out of research. Let me just read you just a brief paragraph. Research from Stanford University has shown that complaining actually shrinks the area of our brain that is critical to problem-solving and intelligent thought. It is called hippocampus. Damage to the hippocampus is frightening in view of the fact that it is one of the primary areas of our brain that results in Alzheimer's disease, which is epidemic now. Going on, complaining not only leads to brain damage, but also the release of excess cortisol by frequent complaining results in high cholesterol, diabetes, heart disease, and obesity. It also makes us more vulnerable to strokes. Now, that's not the Bible. That's the university. That is alarming, folks, and especially if you think about yourself. I can already look at some of you and tell you're ready to complain already. (laughs) You're ready to write me an email. Just send it to Stuart Rothberg. Sage my church, that's all the address you need. For those of you that are guests, Stuart is our second favorite Jew. He's on our staff here. Jesus is our favorite, he's our second. So we just try to dump everything on him. But seriously, folks, I want you to think about something. Is this university on to something? Do you know anybody's had strokes, Alzheimer's? Did you see this being epidemic? 
Ask Rex Forsythe if it is. He's the one that heads up our ministry here at the church. You see, folks, when you begin to read the Scripture and then watch what is happening has become reality, you find out that God is way ahead of science. He's way ahead of research. You see, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my what? My heart. The life giver is the heart. When the heart stops, everything stops. But every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Now, for those of you or us that complain, those of us that seem to have thoughts all the time that are negative, we always see the bad in everything. We're quick to criticize. It may be political parties. It may be the weather. It may be the stock market. It may be a football, baseball, soccer team. I don't care what it is. But when you check and rerun what you've said that day, how many times you have said something negative. You may have said something negative about the construction going on in Houston, Texas on the freeways as you tried to get here today. And instead of rejoicing of how easy it's going to be in a few months or years or decades, uh, you could have had a positive thought. But you just chose to join the crowd. But the psalmist says... In the 13th chapter, how long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in my salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. In that 14th Psalm, just a couple of verses, the fool says in his heart, There's no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. David is one of the favorite Bible characters of all times. I'm of the opinion that the reason is most all of us can identify with David at some point in his life. Now, there would be different points, but there's so much about David, we can identify with the guy from the time he was young until he got very old. And so when David begins to write, he begins to talk about what's happened to so many people today, and that is life begins to turn sour. We're happy as children. We're struggling as teenagers. We're questioning as, as young adults, and we're confused in middle life and the latter years of our life. We reach out for comfort, and we grab emptiness. We look for a word of encouragement, but it doesn't seem to come. And all of a sudden, when we're wanting easy answers to difficult questions, there's a silence. There's a silence. Because it's one thing to talk the talk, and it's another thing to walk the walk. It is very easy to talk about spiritual things, but it's very difficult to walk the walk that God has planned for our lives. We cry out 
for a word of encouragement. And the only answer, again, is silence. Speak to my heart, Lord Jesus. Help me. Open up my ears. We hear the word today about the church. It's boring. Now, who made you think it's boring? If you realized what was going on in God's church today around the world, you would be so excited. God is taking those that feel worthless and making them children of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's adopting us into his family. Those that call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, will be saved. They will come out of this negative world, this critical world, this world that is always down and always quick. Because you see, when you get in that groove of being a complainer, you don't think about any new thing. You just keep complaining about what you've been complaining about for 25 years. Because your mind is locked up. And this is where the research, I've gone far enough ahead to see where it's going. That the brain begins to die because you're not using any of the new parts. You've made up your mind when you were 20 and now you're 50 and you still think just like you did when you were 20. Everybody's bad. Everybody's wrong. Everybody's doing wrong. Negative, 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 negative. And then God withdraws David and we're in misery. Now if it makes you feel any better... Jesus had his hours of desolation. You say, I can't believe that. Could I quote him? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, those thoughts will come. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Now you're off of this platform and you're to the next move. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Father, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I'm heaven bound. And my eyes is upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. And I'm not going to try to be like anybody in my life. I want to be like him, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. That's all we ask is to be like him. And Jesus was life. He was love. Jesus was one that went about doing good. He was the one that went around and taking Dead people, and they come out of the grave. Sick people were healed. The, the people that were, were so caught up in sin that their reputation had been ruined, he took those people and he cleansed them. And they became born-again believers. And God used them in a powerful, powerful way. John Wesley, the great preacher and founder of the Methodist denomination, was troubled at a time of his life so bad that he could not preach. Preachers have those problems sometimes. His personal life was so troubled that he could not preach. But he had a friend. And by the way, if you're troubled, if you've got a godly friend that sees the light instead of the darkness, you're very blessed. John Wesley had such a man. His name was Peter Moeller. And he gave him some sound advice. This advice has helped me when I'm down. Here's what he told him. He said, preach faith until you have it. And then you'll preach faith because you have it. <clears throat> Could I help you with something? There's a whole lot of things that are true and you don't believe it. And you're believing it isn't going to make it true. 
it was true. You didn't believe it, so you chose to go out and live in darkness. But when you come to the truth, the truth will set you free because when you come to Jesus, he's the light of the world, and all of a sudden, darkness is lit up. And then you begin to see, oh, now I see. You want that to come quickly, not over a 20-year period of time. But if it started 20 years, 30 years, or 40 years ago, and I'm talking to people right now, I guarantee you they're on Social Security and they're still mad at their parents. If not, they can't talk to a brother or a sister that they grew up with because back there when I was whatever, you know the stories. But you know what the Lord says? I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I've got a plan for your life. I understand, and one day you're going to understand. But right now, get out of the negative. Start focusing upon me. We win, folks. We win. We win. I guarantee at the soccer game that they're going to play this week, there'll be people tearing up televisions that are losing in the last few minutes. I just love it when people do that and then their team wins. That's just a sense of humor I have, all right? And I know some people are so negative, if the negative doesn't happen, then they don't feel good about it and they get depressed because, you know, it didn't take place. Well, God must have been thinking about some of us when he wrote these things. Have you ever asked, where on earth is God when we need him? You ever asked God that? God, where are you when I needed you? Lord, Lord, I, I, I know, I know I can't do this without you. Where are you? And you know what he says to us? He says, be still. Be still. And know that I am God. But you know what the problem today is? People don't know where to look for God. There's people today that are going to go to church looking for God, and God won't even be the center of attention. They will be the center of attention. The people will be the center of attention. The program will be designed for the people. But this is his church. This is his bride. We are the family of God. And our responsibility is not to make people like us, but like he is. So we are to be in this life. Well, why do innocent people suffer? Why, why do we have war, disease, fires, wrecks, suicides, divorces, murder, famine, earthquakes, and the list goes on and on. Why? And then we've got this negative person wanting to question the wisdom of God. Well, if there's a God, I just don't understand why he doesn't do something. You ever hear that? You ever hear people do that? You know, if there's a God in heaven, then why do we have And You can fill in the blank. When you die, you'll find out why. And then you're going to say, I wish I'd have known that then. I wouldn't have had 50 years of misery. And I would have given my heart to Jesus. You know what? As long as you follow Jesus and I follow Jesus, we know where we're going. And we know that when the darkness comes, there's sunlight coming. And all we've got to do is to stay focused upon the truth of God's inspired and inerrant and infallible word. If you have not lived long enough or been a believer long enough to learn this, I want you to learn it. Sometimes I find myself committing what I'm going to talk to you about. And that is, you say, 
I don't understand why God doesn't explain it to me. I don't know either. But he knows. And matter of fact, most of us couldn't handle it if God told us what the future is going to hold. Some of us would drop dead with excitement and others would just give up. But God's got a hold. He's got the whole world in his hand. We used to sing that in the woods with or without a piano or guitar or anything else. He's got the whole world in his hand. And one of the things, one of the verses was he's got you and me in his hands. He's got you and me in his hands. He's got you and me in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. And one day we'll understand it better by and by. If you have not realized this, please learn it today. Suffering is a part of every life. You say, well, I haven't suffered. Stick around. Temptation is a part of every person's life. All are tempted because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But in the midst of all of this stuff that the world is so confused about, the anchor holds. He's the solid rock. He will explain it one day, but right now, he says the just and the righteous shall live by faith. And before you get angry at my decision to call somebody you loved home, or my decision to take you out of that job and you're now unemployed, I can assure you God's got a plan for your life. And when you are walking in wonderful health and you just love to tell everybody else that's at the party who's already told you for the 18th time how sick they've been, that you understand that one day you're going to get sick. And we're all going to die. Can we agree on that? Amen. Amen. Unless Jesus comes. And if Jesus comes, we're all, when we all get to heaven, that's the kids of God, we're going to go to be with the Lord. Those that are not believers, that's for another sermon. But just know this. When you can quote that scripture, I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which he's committed unto me against that day. Listen, folks, some of you, God has allowed you to go through sorrow and heartache and difficulty because he wants you to be a blessing to somebody else. Don't you think for a moment that when you go through the valley that the people that are sitting over on the curb want to watch you fall. They want you to curse God and die. But when you keep on remembering, no, 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 no. He that's in me is greater than all this. God is in control of my life. Well, David couldn't understand why God was putting him through all this stuff. But he did believe that it represented God in his life, the truth about God, or the will of God. Not my way, but thine be done. What our Lord said. 
Paul, the apostle Paul, released himself to the Lord. He didn't understand the prisons. He didn't understand all of that stuff that was going on, but he was true. And when he came to the end of the road, he said, I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. Sound like he had some problems. He fought a good fight against depression, against anxiety, against bitterness, against negativism, against hatred, all of those things. But he said, I'm ready to go. Because when we see Jesus, it'll be worth it all. You know, if you feel like God has passed you by, if you don't remember anything else that I say this morning, here's what I want to tell you. Pursue God. Run to God. That's much more important than you coming back to this church or any other church. Run to God. Run to God. Run to God. Well, I'll pray about it. You don't need to pray about it. He said, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll do what? I will give you rest. He says, but you come. Sometimes, I know when I was young, if my parents said, come, I came. Now it takes a psychiatrist and a psychologist to help mother and daddy. Now, Junior, you're not thinking right. Mother and daddy's got something good to tell you. Would you please come over here? We never had that problem. That's a new problem in culture. But you know what? The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the author and the finisher of our faith, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. If the Lord says, follow me. He doesn't say that there won't be a cross in your life. He doesn't say you're going to live to be 100. He doesn't tell you you're going to be healthy and have all kinds of friends. He say you may stand alone as I hung on that cross alone. But I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. And when the light to this world is cut off, the lights in heaven are going to come on. And those that are absent from the body will be present with the Lord forever and forever and forever. But bad things happen to good people. And we must understand that. We must understand that. In that 13th Psalm where he said, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Light my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. David said, don't let me be like those negative people. Dear God, don't let me turn against you. But yet, we're going to go on and live life in misery unless we come to him. So David didn't have any better answer to the pain that he was experiencing, the suffering he is going through. But you know, there's something he did know. I'll be real quick with this one. He knew that evil could destroy him. David knew that. He knew that. He was certain, he was certain that his pain and his suffering was the will of God. And you need to think about that. If you're going through a valley right now, is that valley a valley that God purposed for you to go through? And only you and me can answer that. That's a personal thing. Another thing, David never, never, never got to a point that he could not see the face of God. I'm talking to some today. You've gotten to that point. You've forgotten there is a God that loves you. There's a God that says, I know everything about you. 
The hairs on your head are numbered. I know everything about you. I wish I could tell you what the future holds for you if you'll go with me, but I can't tell you because you refuse to listen any longer. Don't walk away from God when times get tough. I love that song. I will cling to the old rugged cross. And you cling to the cross. There's a resurrected Savior that says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And when you fall flat on your face and others forsake you, I'll be with you even until the end of the age. David always knew that God was there and he's here today. He did not relax his search for God when he got into darkness. Don't you? He never doubted that God held the solution to his problem. God holds the solution to your problem and to my problem. He temporarily lost contact with God, but he never lost faith in God. There were times when he quit praying and quit writing songs and singing to the Lord, but he never lost his faith in God. That's something that we can do as well. And you know what? The greater the darkness, (laughs) the greater the need for the light. Did you ever find yourself in darkness and you might have struck a match, but three feet away there was a wall and you walked right into it? Why? Because you needed more light. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. The more that Jesus takes over your life, the brighter it's going to be. The more you walk with the Lord and quit the bitterness and quit the complaining and, and, and quit being as you have been and you let Jesus come into your life, all of a sudden you see things you never saw. You begin to think things that you never thought and God restores your thinking. He restores your faith. He restores your walk. He restores everything about you. And the reason is you have made the decision to be like Jesus instead of like the negative people in this world. God wants us to follow him. And his final verdict was, if he slays me, I'm going to trust him. If he slays me, I'm going to trust him. You remember that guy named Job? Well, you say, is that the same guy's job? Yeah, that's job. Okay. All right. But you remember what he, he had everything. Everything, everything, great family, great health, great money, great reputation, great everything, and he lost it all. Lost everything he had, everything he had. Did he turn on God? No. He's the one that said, if he slays me, I'm going to trust him. You know how the story ends? God doubled everything he had. I don't know about those in-laws. Some of you say, I got all the in-laws I want. I wouldn't want God to double that group. I've got some of mine sitting here on the front row. I just throw that in for them, all right? I got my two favorite nephews here, and uh, one of them's dating a girl that's far beyond his ability, but she doesn't know it yet. She's a <laughs> wonderful girl. But let me tell you something about Job. I'm going to give you a sermon that you can preach to somebody that you'd like to preach a short sermon to. If you know the story of Job, it's kind of like reading, writing, and arithmetic, but the three R's are... God's got a right to do anything he wants to. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. If God wants us to suffer, he's got the right. And you can't say, oh, Lord, you just don't know how I feel. What are you talking about? How in the world could you tell the Lord he doesn't know how you feel? God's got a right, but he's got a reason. He's got a reason. 
The reason is he wants to make us more like him. I tell you, there's some folks, they live so good, heaven won't be a great promotion for them. You say, well, I was just like that. I was perfect when I was down on earth. You know, everybody just loved me. Uh-uh. No, you weren't. No, 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 no. But God's got a reason. And God's got a reward. Amen. He's got a reward. He's got a right to do anything he wants to. He has a reason to, to do anything he does, but he's got a reward. You stay faithful and the light will come back on. You stay faithful and the darker the night, the bigger the light. The deeper the, the problem goes, he lifted me, he lifted me. On sinking sand, I was on sinking sand, but he lifted me, he lifted me. That's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to do. He doesn't want any of us to die because our brain was messed up because we were thinking like the majority of the people of our nation think and our world think. He wanted us to be like him so that we could go through the battle and end up being what God wanted him to be. And so the closing, David's definition or example or outline of his faith was, and it's in the fifth verse of the 13th chapter, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. David knew God personally. Do you? God knew David personally. Do you? Don't throw that stuff about me. I'm a Baptist. I'm a Catholic. I'm a what? Do you know him? You can't trust someone you don't know. And you say, well, the church took care of it for me. No, the church can't take care of that. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sins left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white as snow. David knew that his faith was in the steadfast love of God. And ours must be the same. He was one of those that never doubted the love of his father. Never, never, never. He knew God loved him. He didn't understand why God was letting things happen in his life. He argued, he had, he had mental problems and all kinds of stuff, but he knew God loved him. But I think the main thing was that there was no other God, that he was the final word. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. The name is Jesus, say it with me. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's the sweetest name I know. And he is the one. He is the one. And if you find yourself in your own spiritual closet of saying, you know, I'm one of those negative people. I'm one of those people that find it real easy to be critical. I'm one of those people that find it very easy to just tell others how it ought to be. But today, today, I'm going to learn something from David. David almost messed up beyond being able to to survive but the day he turned to God the source of his strength from day one things began to work out he had a stubborn and unyielding faith in the steadfast love of God do you have that God is love God is our hope God is our salvation 
God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You say, well, preacher, how do you plan to survive? I like that song. I will cling to the old rugged cross. And exchange it. And exchange it for what? A crown. I'll cling to the old rugged cross and I'll exchange it one day for a crown. That's all we can do, folks. I'm sorry. You say, I'm going to go out of this building and you're going to be different. I'm going to quit being negative. I'm going to quit doing that. Wonderful. It'll make everybody else a lot happier. (laughs) But it won't save you. You got to come to the cross. And when Jesus comes to live in you, and you let him live in you, and you get in his word, and you spend time in prayer, he will live his life through you, and you'll get credit for it. And when people say, you know, you're about the sweetest thing I know, you say, no, 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 no. You need to know Jesus, because the only sweet thing in me is Jesus. And the only sweet thing that's ever going to come into you is Jesus. And the only truth that I have is Jesus. The only way I know is Jesus because there's no other way than Jesus. I want to thank Stanford University for their research. I'm going to keep reading. But it's not going to replace this. But so far, they're right where this is. There's something about inviting Jesus into your heart because the heart represents the mind, the soul, the whole body. And when Jesus comes into a life, it goes different places. It thinks a different way. It expresses itself a different way. It has different priorities. It has a different dependency. I mean, all things pass away and everything becomes new. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus.